Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, as uh, I think about the goodness of God today, I, I think about my mother-in-law who just went home to be with the Lord last night. Uh, she was a faithful woman who could certainly bear testimony to the truth of that song. And uh, we're just grateful she knew Jesus and we'll see her again. But uh, we do appreciate your prayer for uh, us, for Diane and her family, as we'll be going out to Indiana uh, for the funeral soon. And uh, uh, it's going to be a celebration of, of a life uh, faithful to the Lord and well-lived. So uh, today we're in uh, part three of our series we've called Revision, in which we are laying out some of the broad strokes of what we believe God is calling us to be and do as a church in the next five years or more. more. We've said that God's will for Bayside Chapel for the next five years is to become like Jesus through discipleship, to advance the gospel through geographic saturation, and to overflow with generosity through leadership multiplication. So far, Pastor Joe has dealt with the issue of becoming like Jesus through discipleship. Pastor Ken last week tackled what it means for us to advance the gospel through geographic saturation. And I want to pause right here to bring you a little update on something that Pastor Ken encouraged us to do last week, and that was he wanted us to sign up for something called Bless Every Home, it's an app that uh, will send you an email every day reminding you of who your neighbors are, your immediate neighbors, remind you by name to pray for them each day. And, uh, and there's an opportunity for you to record when you have prayed for them and to record when you have uh, demonstrated some act of care. The idea is we pray for our neighbors, we care for our neighbors, we share the good news with our neighbors. And this is part of our strategy for geographic saturation. Imagine if all the thousand or so people who are part of Bayside started praying for their immediate neighbors, uh, how we could saturate this region with the gospel. If we could bring up the next slide uh, that has the dashboard that shows that 72 of you have signed up to date. That's a good start, but I'd like to see that like more like 400 plus, all right? And as of uh, Today, there were 2,548 uh, 2, homes adopted. That means that's how many houses are being prayed for. Our neighbors are being prayed for by name. Uh, 80, 844 total prayers have gone up on behalf of those neighbors in, just in the past week. And there have already been 18 acts of care that have been recorded uh, for those neighbors. So uh, we're going to bring up the map now that shows kind of the geographic distribution of all those folks, all the way down from Galloway up to Asbury Park and a lot of places in between. And finally, I'm gonna bring up the QR code 
because if you have not yet signed up, get your, get your phone out right now and uh, capture this QR code with your phone and it will take you to the way that you can sign up for Bless Every Home. And uh, if you're not quick enough to get your phone out to capture it right now, or if I'm standing in the way, uh, you can also go to the Bayside app and there's an icon there that says be a light. If you hit the be a light icon, it will bring up a, an, another pathway to, to sign up for uh, Bless Every Home. So let's get everybody praying for our neighbors. Uh, that's part of our strategy for advancing the gospel through geographic saturation. Now, my job today, I have the assignment of addressing what it means for us then to overflow with generosity. I love the story about the pastor who uh, was trying to cast vision in his church. And he said, now church, we're, we're crawling now. But I believe that God wants us to get up and walk. And somebody said, let it walk, pastor, let it walk. He said, and I believe once we're walking, God's going to teach us to run. Somebody else said, let it run, pastor, let it run. He said, and soon I believe people of God that we're going to go from running to flying. Somebody said, let it fly, pastor, let it fly. The pastor got really quiet. And he said, now, it's going to take money to make it fly. Got really quiet. And somebody in the back said, let it crawl, Pastor, let it crawl. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, you can relax and take your hand off your wallet today because the kind of generosity we're talking about is of a, a different sort. In fact, rather than talking about you about needing more money today, I want to commend you God's people at Bayside Chapel for your generosity because one of the things that has delighted me over these last 12 years is to watch how God has blessed this church with a spirit of generosity. Whether it's the overflow of giving last year that enabled us to pay off the last $100,000 of indebtedness on this building at the beginning of this year or the other giving mentioned in our annual report, $51,000 that was given last year uh, to our benevolence funds so that we can help members and friends that find themselves in a financial pinch, or $34,000 that was given for aid to feed hungry people in Ukraine. 130 coats collected for families in our community, 60 Thanksgiving boxes that were distributed at Thanksgiving time, nearly 600 Operation Christmas Child boxes that were collected. There's the $5,000 every year or so that we collect just in spare change through our baby bottle campaign for the open door each spring. And then I think about how in 2015, in a matter of weeks, we collected $80,000 so that our children and youth would have a safe new vehicle to take them on their outings. Or the very next year, 2016, we saw 265 children get sponsored in one weekend for Compassion International. 115 of them were sponsored through the Compassion Experience uh, trailers that were out back as people walked through the experience and then many, even people from the community sponsored kids. But 150 of those kids were sponsored on that Sunday right here by Bayside folks. We had 150 cards of, of children, and every one of them was taken representing a, a, a financial commitment of about $68,000 per year. And, and that has continued as we've supported our children all these years. I think of three capital campaigns that raised an additional $1.6 million down through the years. The Fulfilling Our Legacy campaign in 2012, a three-year campaign that raised $650,000 for the construction of the West Wing and included a tithe for world missions projects around the world. 
Uh, there was the Next Step campaign, a two-year campaign begun in 2016 that raised $321,000, $220,000 of which went to, to launch uh, Wellspring Church up in Tom's River and another tithe for world missions. There was the Bayside 3.0 campaign, a three-year campaign that started in 2019 and wrapped up just October of this last year that raised $623,000 including $300,000 for the renovation of the building up at Lakehurst and the launch of Proving Ground Church. Uh, then additional funds that were used to refurbish our own auditorium, which turned out pretty well, don't you think? And then a tithe for world missions. So that of that $1.6 million that was raised, more than 40%, 650000 of that went right out the door for the Lord's work elsewhere, whether in Tom's River or Lakehurst or missions projects around the world, and I'm delighted as your pastor to see how generous this church has become, so much so that we're adding generosity as a fifth core value. We've always said we, we value the word, we value fellowship, we value prayer, we value putting people on mission to serve Jesus, and now we're saying we value generosity, and not just as a, an aspirational core value, but it's something we've actually become over the years, a people who delight in blessing others with what God has entrusted to us. So you might ask, if we're already so generous as a church, why would we include overflowing with generosity as a third strategic priority in our, our updated vision statement? It's because I want you to notice that we're talking about generosity of a, a different kind. We're not just talking about generosity with our resources, although that's certainly part of it, but rather look more closely at the wording of that third bullet. God's will for Bayside Chapel for the next five years is to become, uh, is, is to overflow with generosity through leadership multiplication. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, we go on to unpack it in the draft of the document where it says, by overflowing with generosity, we mean that we want to multiply the impact of God's kingdom work throughout our region and beyond. We envision God's kingdom work being multiplied and developed by developing and resourcing leaders to expand the church and deploying them to accomplish that which God is calling them to do. And we envision doing that in at least three ways. We want to continue to contribute resources, people, and leaders for church planting efforts in our region. Two, we want to supply leadership and expertise to assist and revitalize other churches and ministry agencies as called upon. Three, we want to raise up support and send gospel workers locally and globally. So more than anything else, we're talking about being generous, not just with our financial resources, but with our people resources. And we already have some examples of how that's been going on here in recent years, don't we? So think about our youth pastor, Jason Koash, who back in, in 2017 was doing a fine job working with our youth but feeling a call of God to go plant a church in Tom's River. And so we said to Jason, uh, we believe that God is calling you to do that, so we're authorizing you to leave us to go do that work, and uh, we're authorizing you to take as many people as you want from Bayside to, to go get that started. There were about 70 folks that went with Jason, including one of our beloved elders and several of our best worship leaders, and together they went and launched Wellspring Church in 2017. The very next year, 2018, we started sending a pastor every Sunday from our preaching team up to Lakehurst uh, to uh, help out a struggling church there. 
that was without a pastor, and we supplied their pulpit supply for, for a whole year just about, and, and worked with them to see if we could help get them turned around. And when it was clear that that church wasn't going to make it, uh, the denomination sold their building to us, and it was our worship pastor, Nick Dalio, who was doing a great job in worship. We didn't want to give him away. But God was working in his heart, uh, calling him to, to plant the church in Lakehurst, Proven Ground Church. And we again said to Nick, Nick, uh, you know, take, take folks from Bayside and go plant that church. And Nick took another about 40 people, but he took half the worship team. You know, my, my generosity was being tested at that point. I'm thinking, how can we let Nick take half the worship team? What's going to be left here at Bayside? Well, you know what? God rewards generosity, doesn't he? Because no sooner did God you know, take those folks to Proving Ground and launch Proving Ground Church in 2020, then you know, he started sending us a whole bunch of really great musicians who are godly people to backfill our worship ministry, and we haven't missed a beat. God is good, isn't he? So we want to be generous with our time, our expertise, and even our people, and that continues. Just two weeks ago, uh, I preached at a little church up in Monmouth County that is without a pastor just to help them out and to talk with the elders to say, hey, is there any way that we can come alongside of you and help you through this tough moment uh, to, to revitalize this congregation? We want to be of assistance to them. Uh, <laughs> another example, just this morning, uh, you know, it, it, Pastor Ken and, and one of our worship leaders, Miriam, uh, went up to Wellspring Church to help out because a stomach bug went through their whole worship ministry and they didn't have anybody to lead worship this week. So, so we're lending them uh, Ken and, and Miriam this week. We want to be generous in, in that way because one thing our vision statement recognizes is that God has uniquely positioned Bayside Chapel in this region to bless and encourage Christ-centered Bible-teaching churches and other ministries helping them to thrive so that together we can more effectively advance the gospel up and down the Jersey Shore. We want the high tide that we have experienced to raise lots of boats, not just our own. And so that's why we have formed the One Vision Partnership along with Wellspring Church and Proving Ground Church to work together to help revitalize churches that are struggling and to plant new thriving churches up and down the Garden State Parkway. But to do that will require that we be generous, not just with financial resources, but with our time, our expertise, and our people. It means we're going to invest in people and, and raise them up, and, and we're going to fall in love with them, and then God's going to call them elsewhere to serve, as we saw happen with, with Pastor Jason, and then Pastor Nick, and now Pastor Brian, who went to help Pastor Nick up at Proving Ground Church. It means we're going to get attached to, to worship leaders who will then be led to go and lead worship ministries elsewhere. It means we're going to have to be ready to let go of beloved elders like Wills Langworthy and Ed Shack, who will go and, and help start elder boards elsewhere. It means we're going to have to keep our own leadership development pipeline full uh, with interns so that when God calls a Jason Coash to Wellspring, Brian Prizer is ready to step up and lead the youth ministry. And when Brian gets called to Proving Ground Ministry, uh, Kyleen Grady is ready to step up and lead that ministry. And hopefully one day soon, when God calls some of our best and brightest to be career missionaries in another country, we'll be ready to support and send them 
as well. That's the kind of thing we're talking about when we say we want to overflow with generosity through leadership multiplication. And one of the clear implications of all this is that God wants to use us to develop more Christian leaders. I'm convinced of that. God wants to use this church to develop more Christian leaders. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, that's why I want to take you to the scriptures today and a beautiful case study in the Bible that shows us how God can use us to develop more Christian leaders. I want you to consider with me a young man by the name of Timothy. Uh, We're going to be preaching through Paul's two letters to Timothy later this year, so you could look at this as kind of a, a preview of what's to come, but more importantly for our purposes today, I want for us to look at Timothy and how he is identified and raised up and trained and then deployed as a leader for the church, because the vision God is laying on us is going to require us to do that to raise up, train, deploy many such women and men over the years who will be used of God to revitalize churches that are struggling to plant new churches and neighborhoods that need one and serve in ministries that are reaching people with the gospel locally and even being sent to the ends of the earth making disciples. So let's explore who was Timothy, what was his impact as a leader in the first century church, and how did he get to be that way? What was the process of his development? And what can we learn from it for us at Bayside? First, who was Timothy? Well, we learn of Timothy, first of all, from Acts chapter 16 and verses 1 through 3, where Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's already been through Asia Minor one time planting churches, and now on his second missionary journey, he's going back to revisit some of those churches to see how he's doing, how they're doing. And it says, and he, Paul, came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul comes back to Lystra and Iconium, places where he had previously planted churches, and there he finds this young guy who's a disciple, a follower of Jesus, his mother is of Jewish background, but a believer. We know from 2 Timothy that her name is Eunice. In fact, his, mother, his grandmother, Lois, is also a believer. And they have Jewish background, but his father is a Greek, which means he was never circumcised as a child. And Paul sees this young guy, sees the promise in him, and wants to take him along kind of as an apprentice on his missionary journey. But he knows that the fact that Timothy is uncircumcised is going to pose a problem. Uh, It's going to make it difficult for him to interact with the Jewish believers because wherever Paul went, he first went where? To the synagogue. It was to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And so in order for him to interact more more, fluidly with with the Jewish population, uh, Paul suggested that Timothy be circumcised before they go, and that's what happened. Timothy then travels with Paul, we know from the book of Acts, on his second missionary journey and his third missionary journey, which means that he was with Paul for about eight years at Paul's side as Paul preached in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth. He was with Paul during much of his three-year ministry in Ephesus. He went with Paul from Ephesus to Macedonia, down to Corinth, back to Macedonia, back to Asia Minor, and then eventually all the way back to Jerusalem Uh, and was with Paul during Paul's first imprisonment and house arrest in Rome, 
as he awaited trial before Caesar. After Paul's release from prison, Timothy traveled with him again, but eventually stayed behind in Ephesus to take care of some problems there while Paul went on to Macedonia once again. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that Timothy himself was imprisoned at some point, but then released. We don't know the circumstances of that imprisonment. So who was Timothy? Timothy was a young man who, as an assistant to the Apostle Paul, became one of the most influential leaders of the first century church. When Paul couldn't be in two places at one time, Timothy was Paul's go-to guy. He was the guy that Paul would count on to solve problems, to put down false teaching, to appoint leaders for local churches, and to teach about the practical realities of everyday Christian living. Paul trusted Timothy that much. Now, how significant was Timothy's leadership in the first century church? Well, Paul himself tells us in some of his, his epistles. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, Therefore I urge you to imitate me, Paul. For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, I want you to imitate me. I can't be there, so I'm sending Timothy. He's just as good. He'll, he'll remind you of everything that I've taught you. He'll remind you of my way of life. I trust Timothy that much. To the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. The Thessalonians are going through a tough time. Paul hears about it, and he sends Timothy. Why? Because Timothy is able to encourage you and strengthen you in your faith so that you won't be unsettled by all of this stuff you're going through. To the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now, by the time Paul writes this in Philippians, Timothy's been working with Paul for about 12 years. And he's saying, I've got no one like him. He's, he's the best I have to send you. Paul was so grateful for Timothy's involvement and partnership in ministry that did you know that Paul identifies Timothy as a co-author of six of Paul's own epistles? And so, for instance, in the letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. This letter is coming to you not just from Paul, but from Paul and Timothy. And he says something very similar in Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon. Paul valued Timothy so much that as he was coming to the end of his life and writing the last of, of all the letters he would write, who does he call for but Timothy? And he speaks of Timothy in such high regard. He's, he addresses the letter to Timothy, my dear son, and he says, I long to see you. And at the end of the letter, Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly. And at the very end of the letter, he says, do your best to come before winter. Timothy was an asset, not only to the Apostle Paul, but to the entire first century church. A great leader in his own right. Now, how did he get to be that way? Well, this is where we all come in. 
And this is where I think God wants to use us. Because I think if you look at the life of Timothy, as I've just kind of laid it out for you, I see at least three means that God uses to raise up a Timothy. Three means that God might use to raise up Christian leaders right here at Bayside. And believe it or not, the first means that God may use is a family. God uses families to develop leaders. We see this in the life of Timothy. For instance, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy was a third generation believer, at least. His grandmother was a believer. His mother was a believer. And those godly women had an influence in Timothy's life. And one of the ways that influenced Timothy's life was by teaching him the scripture. Timothy didn't first learn the Bible from going with the Apostle Paul. He certainly learned a lot more of the scriptures as he traveled with Paul. He didn't first learn the Bible in, uh, in seminary school or, or some other place. He learned the Bible from his grandmother and his mother. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, But as for you, this is verses 14 and 15, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. You know it's trustworthy because it came from your grandmother and your mother. You saw it lived out in their lives. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. These dear godly women of Jewish background, in keeping with the Jewish tradition, talked about the scriptures from the time Timothy got up in the morning to the time he went to bed at night. It was constantly part of their conversation. As Timothy, from the time he was a little kid, learned the truths of God's word. And I believe it was because of that that when Timothy heard Paul come along preaching about Jesus, that because of his knowledge of the scriptures, Timothy was wise to, to see in, in Jesus the answer of, of Israel's Messiah sent for his salvation. These are the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. And you learned them at home, Paul says. Could it be that God is using your home, parent, to raise a leader for the church? For God's work in the world? Could it be that uh, you know, some, of the, some of those little kids that are up there right now in children's church, some of those kids who will be here uh, in youth group on Tuesday night are, are not only being influenced by what's happening here at church, but they're being influenced even in more profound ways by what's going on in your home? May your household be a kind of context where that can happen. A high, the kind of home that that God can use to develop a Christian leader. Now, that's not to say that if you didn't grow up in a strong Christian home that you can't become a Christian leader, but it sure helps, I'm telling you. And I'm here to bear witness of that. I'm so grateful for, for uh, godly parents. You know, my dad, Nick, a blue-collar guy, a truck driver, was faithful in making sure that we got to church every Sunday morning. Even when we are on vacation, we had to find a church to attend. But he got us to church every Sunday morning, and not just Sunday morning, but Sunday night, because we had night evening services back then, and, and Wednesday night, and whenever the church's doors were open, it seemed like we were there. Why? Because my dad felt that that was very important for us as a family, and for us as kids. It was my dad who every, every evening at dinner time took the lead in 
in leading us in family devotions. We'd take the Bible off the top of the refrigerator and, and the daily bread, and we'd read a passage of scripture and read the devotional for that day, and then we'd pray together as a family. That was just part of our, our family life together. I remember watching my mom, Audrey, you know, uh, every once in a while I'd catch the, uh, I'd go down the hallway and see her bedroom door open a crack, and I'd look in, and there she would be on her knees with the Bible open on the bed in front of her, reading the scriptures and praying for her kids. It was my mom and dad that set the example for service to the Lord. They were tireless in their service to Jesus. You know, my dad drove the Sunday school bus and was the church treasurer. My mom sang in the choir and taught Sunday school. They set an amazing example of Christian service. And, and a big part of why I'm in Christian ministry today is because of their influence in my life. God uses families to develop leaders. Well, here's the second means that God can use to develop a Christian leader, and that is God uses churches to develop leaders. God uses churches to develop leaders. Some of those, those leaders that, that are going to lead the church in years to come are, are being discipled right here, uh, up in the, in the children's church, right as we speak. They'll be discipled here on, on Tuesday evening when they come for youth ministry meetings. Now, how does a church uh, develop Christian leaders? Well, I think in three ways. First, you've got to recognize potential in someone, right? And, and oftentimes that will happen in the context of the life of the church. For instance, when Paul came through Lystra and Derby, it was the brothers there in Lystra and Iconium who pointed Timothy out to Paul and said, hey, you've got to take a look at this kid. He's, he's, got, he's got it on the ball. Uh, we, we see something in him. And Paul got to know him and said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take him with me. He's going to be my, my apprentice. I'm, I'm going to disciple him. And it was that that launched Paul. You've got to recognize potential in someone. And just this last Tuesday in staff meeting, we had a little conversation about who are the children and, and the youth and the young adults we see here at Bayside who have promise for ministry. And how might God be using them or, or be wanting to use them in years to come? And, and how should we be encouraging them in that? Recognize potential in someone. And then the, the next way that God will use the church is to give them opportunities to lead. Give them a chance to, to, to try out their gifts in ministry. Uh, so you have here in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 10, Paul says to the church at Corinth, If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he was with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. In other words, hey, this young guy is coming to you, but don't blow him off just because he's young. He's got something to offer. I want you to pay attention to him. I don't want, him, I don't want you giving him any grief. He should have nothing to fear while he's there with you. He's serving on my behalf. And, and so give him a chance to lead. Give him a chance to do his thing. I'm so grateful that you've been gracious in letting us do that here at Bayside. You know, to let... Uh, People like, like uh, Jason and Nick and, and, uh, and Brian and James, you know, preach some of their first sermons here among you. And then to watch them develop and, and grow and, and become marvelous preachers in their own right. And Ken, you know, and, and to see what God has done. It's, it's in part because of your graciousness in giving them a chance to lead, giving them a chance to grow. We need to keep doing that. 
as a church. And then confirming God's work in the life of a leader. That's the third way that churches can get involved in, in raising up leaders for the church. Recognize someone's potential and encourage them. Give them a chance to lead and then confirm God's work in their lives. Uh, a great example of that is when just a, or over a year ago we, we uh, set uh, Pastor Ken apart for the gospel ministry in a service of ordination. Uh, just as, as it says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And most scholars think that's a reference to Timothy's ordination when elders of a church uh, set him apart for the ministry of the gospel. And, you know, we, we did that with Pastor Ken not so long ago. Uh, saying, we believe that God has called you to a lifetime of ministry and we're, we're laying our hands on you, we're ordaining you, setting you apart for that ministry, confirming God's work in your life. I'm grateful to have had a church that did all those things for me. A pastor who saw something in me and said, I want you to teach my class. He said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to be having surgery, I'm be out for four weeks, and I want you to teach the class. Well, I was in the class. He taught high school seniors like a systematic theology. And, and he said, there's nobody I'd rather have teach the class than you. I'm like, you, you really? You're serious? And he said, yes. He gave me all the materials. I studied my, my, my head off and, and came to class afraid of how my, my peers were going to receive it. You know, are they going to cooperate? Are they going to joke around the whole hour? Well, they actually participated and gave me a chance to teach the class just as, Bruce, as if Bruce himself were there. They gave me a chance to lead. And the deacons of the church, when they heard that I was going to be teaching the class, they thought, this isn't going to work, a high school senior teaching high school seniors. And, and yet they, they poked their head in the window. I could see them looking through the window into the classroom, and, and they'd say, well, everything seems to be calm. And, and they, let, they let me do it. They gave me a chance. That was the church that gave me my first chance to preach. We, we've, got to, we've got to be that kind of a church that gives young leaders a chance to use their gifts. And that was the church that also confirmed God's work in my life. That was the church that laid their hands on me and ordained me and set me apart for the gospel ministry. God uses families to develop leaders. He uses churches to develop leaders. And finally, he uses leaders to develop leaders. Right? He used Paul in, in the life of Timothy in a powerful way. So that in Acts chapter 16, you know, Paul sees this, this promising young man and he takes him on, on this missionary journey and Timothy travels with him for the next eight years and follows Paul's leadership and ministry for at least a dozen years in total. And as Paul approaches the end of his life, Paul is still kind of coaching him up. He's still, still passing on lessons to Timothy. Even though Paul's now an old man and Timothy is, is by now a, an experienced young pastor. And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, and even the persecutions I endured. He's saying, Timothy, you, you've, you've got it down. I've dumped everything I can. I've, I've downloaded everything I can into you. I've taught you everything I know. And now it's, it's your turn. Uh, he passes the baton to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. I've run my leg of the journey, now it's your turn. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And a few verses later he says, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. It's not going to be easy, Timothy. But you keep going. Do the work of an evangelist. Don't forget to share the gospel. Discharge the duties of your ministry. 
And then this last bit of wisdom that Paul passes on to Timothy that I absolutely love, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, where Paul says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will be also qualified to teach others. Do you see that there are four generations of leaders in that one verse? There's Paul as a leader who's passing on you know, his lessons to Timothy. And then he tells Timothy, the things you've heard me say, now you entrust those things to other leaders who will be able to teach others also so that this thing keeps going from generation to generation. Leaders being used of God to raise up other leaders down to this very day. And by the way, in keeping with this, uh, this encouragement of leaders developing other leaders, uh, I want to encourage those of you who uh, would like to up your leadership game or aspire to be involved in Christian leadership, I want you to enroll in a class on teaching online via Zoom. It's going to start on April 11, and it will last uh, six Tuesday evenings until March 16, an hour and a half each night, nine hours of, of really solid instruction in ministry leadership, amply illustrated with examples from Scripture. These are the nine best hours of a course that I taught at Bethel Seminary many times. And so if you are a, a leader or an aspiring leader, I encourage you to sign up for that. The sign-ups will be out shortly, but if you'd like to get a jump on that, just send me an email, uh, dave at baysidechapel.org, and I'll put you on the list. There are already a couple of people this morning who have signed up, and some from other churches as well that are going to be part of that. It's, you see, to do the work that God is calling us to do over the next five years and beyond is going to require that we develop that we become very committed to and very adept at identifying, raising up, and equipping and deploying leaders. Leaders who minister to children, leaders who work with youth, leaders who lead Bible studies in small groups, those who lead worship, those who lead with their organizational and administrative gifts, those who preach and teach, those who plant churches, those who know how to help sick churches get healthy, and those who are ready to travel to other countries carrying the gospel, God wants to use us to develop leaders. He may be using your own home right now, your family, to raise one up. He wants to use us as a church to, together to identify some, to encourage them, to give them their first opportunities to lead. And he wants to use those of us who lead to invest in equipping others to lead. Part of our vision is that we will overflow with generosity through this kind of leadership multiplication such that ministries all over will thrive as they're led by healthy, godly leaders who are launched out of Bayside Chapel. Now there's a downside to all this. The downside is we're going to have to keep giving people away. You know, we'll raise people up, we'll fall in love with them, and then they'll leave us to go serve somewhere else. And we've got to get okay with that. But there's also an upside to all of this. The upside will look a lot like the night of worship we had at Proving Ground Church on February 5th. Uh, how many of you were there? Yeah, a good number of you. What a night that was, huh? The energy in that place was incredible. 250 people uh, from Wellspring Church and from Proving Ground Church and from Bayside, many of whom started off here at Bayside and were sent off, but then there were many other people who were there who had come to faith in Christ because of the ministry of, of the three churches who had never been part of Bayside before. But it was like a family reunion. The energy was incredible. 
as we celebrated what God had done and looked forward to what he will yet do as we work together to advance the gospel throughout this region. I got a little taste of what it's like that night. And I don't know about you, but I want a big bite of that. It was really great. And I look forward to what God is going to continue to do here at Bayside. Now, before we wrap up tonight or today, I just wanted to draw your attention to the fact that in keeping with the, the spirit of generosity, being generous with uh, sharing our time and resources and people, uh, we're going to be sending a team of about 12 people out to da uh, David, Kentucky this week to serve with Star of Poverty beginning uh, this coming Saturday, and they're going to be gone a whole week. And uh, I, Ron Fraser, head of Star of Poverty, told us this morning that there are a team of about 22, about 12 of whom are from Bayside, and a couple of, of our Baysiders who've moved to South Carolina who are coming back to do this, so we're well represented on this team. But if, if you're part of that team, uh, we just want to commit you to the Lord and, and pray God's blessing over you. So if you're part of that team and you're here today, would you stand? Any, anybody part of that team? Yeah, there's in the back, over here, over here. Great, we have at least four or five, five people here. So take a good look at these folks. You may not know them by name, but get their faces in your memory bank and pray for them. Uh, this week as they prepare to go, and then the following week as they'll be in Kentucky serving with Starved Poverty. Uh, and right now I'd like everybody to stand as we close this time in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for the fact that you have blessed us. You have blessed us with, with really incredible people over the years, and you're using them to do great things, not only here at Bayside, but in, in many other places as well. And Lord, we pray that you would just bless us with a spirit of generosity, not only when it comes to financial resources, but when it comes to our time, our expertise, and, and people. Lord, may we become really, really good at recognizing what you're doing in the lives of, of children and youth and young adults here at Bayside, that you would uh, make us a, a church that is generous in giving people opportunities to, to lead and to grow in the use of their gifts. And Lord, I pray that in years to come, uh, your kingdom will be advanced in powerful ways as uh, people raised up here at Bayside will be used of you to do great things for Jesus. And Lord, we just, uh, as we prepare to go today, we want to go uh, celebrating what you have done and what you will yet do, praying for these folks who are going in particular to Kentucky on this missions trip, asking that you will watch over them and keep them in your care, that you will protect them and give them safety in travel and on the job and give them many opportunities to share the good news of Christ with those among whom they'll minister and Lord, we pray that you'd use us all as, as we uh, sing this, this closing song as a reminder of the fact that, that we are being sent from here on mission to, to take the love and the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.